0: Conversations. Good day, everybody. This is Med Conversations, and this is Davo here after a bit of a break. Been studying for my exams. I'm very sorry.
1: And this is Beck, and you're joining us on the eve of Davo's Basic Physicians written too, exam.
0: Not too much I can do at this point.
1: Um, so I think this is at his peak intellect.
0: <laughs>
1: and for some reason, he's decided to spend this night with you making a podcast on medication management in acute in- kidney injury.
0: Mm, all right.
1: So let's go. All right, so a little bit of uh, an anecdote. You're in your third week of internship. You don't get lost on your way to radiology anymore. You've stopped polishing your pager before bed and you've only asked two registrars if they're nurses today. You wear your step and your swagger with justified pride. You get in early to check the bloods before the round. Going through the list, you reach Ronald, the 85-year-old recently retired architect who was admitted on your cover shift yesterday evening. His daughters call him cute. He tried to stab you in the eye with a cannula last night. He's got community-acquired pneumonia on a background of type 2 diabetes, osteoarthritis and atrial fibrillation, and he's as delirious as you were when you walked out of the hospital after yesterday's 14-hour long day. The admitting reg hadn't charted all the meds and he hadn't come in with them. When you asked what he took, he just kept saying potato. (laughs) The dose for potato wasn't in the Australian Medicine Handbook, so you decided to leave it for the next day. You reflect on your integrity with relief. Imagine if you charted the wrong dose of potato. (laughs) Scrolling through his bloods, you notice that his creatinine has shot up to 180, but it was 95 with his GP a couple of weeks ago. The urea is 12, also way up from before. You think back to that Med Conversations podcast you listened to on the train home from uni a couple of years ago and know what this probably is. Davo.
0: Sounds very much like pre-renal acute kidney injury. It was pneumonia.
1: So just as you finish updating the list, the page beeps. You scream. You thought you got an over-screaming every time you get a page, <laughs> but sometimes a little one still sneaks out.
0: This is very evocative, Beck. <laughs> I mean, back
1: the page says, please chart Ronald's reg meds. His family brought them in.
0: Cool. So reg meds, I presume, means regular meds?
1: Regular medications. Nice one. You check with a nurse. <laughs> All
0: right. So that's what this podcast is about, right? So this is a very common scenario in general medicine, which is where I've been spending most of my time recently. Someone comes in with acute kidney injury or acute on chronic kidney injury is far more common. And how do you play around with their medication? Because there's a lot of things that we shouldn't take when our kidneys are a little bit off, not at not a, their full game.
1: Yeah, and I think... I think that this is also something that interns need to gradually develop the skill of doing independently. So you'll be on cover shifts or ward rounds Mm -hmm. when you're alone and um, you need to know what to do. So in this episode, uh, we're not going to go into a general overview of acute kidney injury because we've done that before. So check out our other podcast on that. Mm -hmm. What we are going to talk about is what medications to withhold or dose adjust in acute kidney injury. Um, And we'll be talking about that in contrast to chronic renal failure. And we'll be discussing the importance of ongoing review even after the patient's been discharged home.
0: Can I just say as well as a registrar, you value those interns so much that think of this and do it independently because there's so many other things to think of. It's really, really valuable if you can make sure these T's are crossed and the I's are dotted for your team. All right.
1: Okay, so when we talk about medications to change, it's not just the nephrotoxics, it's The nephrotoxics are the ones that cause or contribute to acute kidney injury. But then you also have to think about combinations of medications that might be inappropriate in the context of AKI. You need to think about the renally excreted medications and the things that might not be on the drug chart, like contrast.
0: Mm. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to think of both. So you've got to think about the renally excreted meds because obviously they can build up and um, often people will go from Being having a renal function where a a dose is fine or a drug is fine, and sometimes they then slip into a range where they shouldn't be taking that drug at all.
1: That's it. So let's go through each of those categories in turn. So the first one, the actual nephrotoxics, these are the medications that cause or contribute to a kidney injury. So the commonly used ones that you're going to see on drug charts of, let's be honest, most patients in GenMed are diuretics.
0: So that's just because it dries the kidney out, basically, causes medullary hypoxia.
1: And then there's non steroidal anti inflammatory drugs?
0: So that works by starving the kidney of prostaglandin. And when the kidney doesn't have prostaglandin, the afferent arterial constricts, like really starving it of blood is a good way of thinking about it.
1: And working in a in a similar way to um, reduce the glomerular filtration rate are the ACE inhibitors.
0: That's on the opposite side of the glomerulus though. So NSAIDs work on the afferent arterio- arteriole, so that's the blood coming into the glomerulus. And uh, ACE inhibitors work on the other side, the efferent arteriole coming out of the glomerulus. And they actually relax that, um, therefore reducing the intraglomerular pressure, but in this case also reducing the GFR.
1: So the three that I've just said then, diuretics, NSAIDs, and ACE inhibitors, form the triple whammy. So these are the three medications that you never want to use in combination in anyone, whether their kidneys are fine or not, because their kidneys won't be fine for long. Some other nephrotoxics that are reasonably commonly used are vancomycin and aminoglycosides. So this is like your gentamicin. Mm. The last one is contrast. Very, very frequently used, easily forgotten.
0: Yeah, I always forget about that.
1: So some less commonly used ones, um, zoledronic acid, Tenefavir, which is an antiretroviral. Cisplatin.
0: That's an oncology drug, it's a chemotherapy drug.
1: And I'm not even kidding, rhubarb.
0: (laughs) Very important.
1: (laughs) Uh, The joke about testing serum rhubarb is actually a thing I found out recently, Um, but don't worry about that. So the commonly used ones, um, the important thing to remember is that these also can make a big difference in combination, so there's an additive effect. Mm. So we said ACE inhibitors. This is a bit of a discussion for more advanced players. Aren't they renal protective? Why are they bad for the kidneys? So
0: as I kind of alluded to before, they they act on the efferent arteriole, arteriole, uh, which uh, reduces the intraglomerular pressure, which in the long term is a really good thing, because if you've got a high intraglomerular pressure, you're going to have more protein urine, and protein is toxic to the kidneys. So it's really good in a kind of a diabetic nephropathy or other similar type nephrotic um, kidney injuries in the long term but in the short term you're reducing the GFR because blood doesn't have as much much of a chance to be filtered in that uh, in that glomerulus
1: Mm, and that sound there is the sound of uh, blood rushing through a kidney (laughs) (laughs) if anyone can hear the car going fast um okay yeah so that's ACE inhibitors and I guess one exception to that is in patients who who have heart failure um who, who are still managing to maintain a decent blood pressure, it can actually be appropriate to continue an agiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor despite acute kidney injury. But in general, I think the general rule, particularly if you're, a, if you're an intern, is to uh, look at withholding
0: it. Mm, at least put review above the box when you're writing up the drug chart so the registrar or the consultant can decide the next day.
1: Okay, so what were those common nephrotoxics again, Davor?
0: So don't forget the triple whammy, diuretics, NSAIDs and ACE inhibitors which together are really bad and also don't forget gentamicin and never forget contrast which is easily forgotten.
1: All right so now we'll just talk briefly about inappropriate combinations in the context of acute kidney injury. So we talked about the triple whammy, also things like lithium.
0: Lithium's really bad with furuzumide in particular, it dries, dries people out like a chip.
1: And another one would be the SGLT2 inhibitors, the oral hypoglycemics, the ones that end in glyphlosins. Mm. They're okay on their own, but in, com- in combination with those other things in acute kidney injury, you've got got to watch out. So those ones are those kind of nephrotoxic ones. Now we'll talk about the renally excreted meds that need to have their dose adjusted. So a couple of reasons for that. Um, they can accumulate, and then their usual effects can be potent- potentiated, and those us- usual effects might be the desired effects or the non-desired
0: effects. Mm.
1: So group number one would be the opioids and benzodiazepines, mm. kind of two groups in one here.
0: Yeah. So you're going to really depress their conscious state uh, if you if you give them these drugs uh, while they're in acute kidney injury. So what what opioid should we be using in someone? with a uh, renal failure
1: so first just a few principles avoiding slow release is good Um fentanyl to pentadol, hydromorphone and oxycodone are best so if you're an intern the ones that you're most likely to be charting would be subcutaneous fentanyl I usually start at uh, 25 micrograms mm. uh, and oxycodone so you might even think about giving a very small dose 2.5 or 5 milligrams particularly in the elderly mm. The next thing would be antibiotics, trimethoprim or Bactrim. Bactrim is a combination um, antibiotic, including trimethoprim and sulfamethoxazole. Do you know what they do in AKI?
0: Uh, so they can cause a uh, hyperkalemia. So AKI can cause hyperkalemia, um, but then on top of that, you can get some extra potassium from these drugs and that can be really bad.
1: Yeah, so they're okay to give, but you might want to reduce the dose, particularly if, if the patient's already on a medication that increases their k like spironolactone, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor
0: blockers. An extra little tip there with uh, trimethoprim is actually falsely elevates creatinine as well. So it secretes creatinine in the proximal tubule. So the mm. creatinine's is going to seem higher than it actually is if someone's on Bactrim.
1: Yeah, and I see that a lot. Um, we actually had a patient the other day who had a UTI and we started trimethoprim, and then um, my intern came up to me saying that the UTI must have spread to the kidneys because the creatinine went up. So it is something that can can easily fool you, and it's important to know about that.
0: Mm.
1: Another antibiotic is penicillins. I haven't seen it before, but um, in, in patients with severe renal failure, penicillins can accumulate and cause CNS side effects like seizures. So you need to adjust the dose and your hospital should have guidelines on, on how to do that, particularly with things like piperacillin-tazobactam, mm. Vancomycin, you probably know about this one. Um, it's renal toxic and, and also ototoxic. So you've got to reduce the dose in kidney failure.
0: And that's where, that's where vancomycin levels are really useful. So this is one of the drugs that we actually check levels for because we're so worried about those toxic effects. It's got a very narrow therapeutic index.
1: Mm. So do you check trough or peak levels? Trough. And then you ask your pharmacist and they tell you what's actually right. <laughs> <laughs> it is trough. Um, all right, and then anti epileptics or neuropathic agents like phenytoin, pregabalin, levetiracetam.
0: Cool. All right, on we go
1: hypoglycemics metformin tell me about metformin is that actually reno nephrotoxic
0: so it's a common misconception people often uh cross off metformin before contrast or something else where they anticipate an acute kidney injury because they think it's going to make that worse that's not the case but
1: you actually should cross off metformin before a patient has contrast
0: you should but the rationale is different though so it's not a nephrotoxic uh, but if someone has an acute kidney injury and they've got metformin on board, they're at risk of lactic acidosis. Mm.
1: So, so um, the principle that, at least at, at our hospital, that the endo, endocrinology team follow is that you should always withhold metformin if a patient's at risk of getting an acute kidney injury, as well as if the creatinine clearance is already less than 90. So metformin, as my registrar used to always say to patients when she started them, uh, on metformin. Metformin is a drug for good days, not for bad days. Mm. Other hypoglycemia can accumulate. And again, going back to that principle that anything in an extended release formation can accumulate.
0: A ureas are a particularly important one to know, something like glyphosate. So I'd always uh, kind of think about that or consider reducing it because uh, older patients in particular get a lot of hypoglycemia because their renal function goes off and the glucoside builds up and they become hypoglycemic. Mm.
1: And then some of the new ones as well, you should probably withhold in acute renal failure. So DPP4 inhibitors and GLP1 inhibitors. Mm. Beta blockers, give or not give?
0: depends which one. So which is the renally excreted one?
1: I've got no idea. It's a, a tenolol.
0: A tenolol, yeah. <laughs> a tenolol, So a tenolol is a renally excreted one. The other one you don't have to worry w- worry about too much. And, in fact, you shouldn't stop it all of a sudden because they can have a reflex tachycardia, which can make the, the overall picture much worse.
1: And now I reckon this is probably the most commonly prescribed drug in any hospital, clexane, low molecular weight heparins like enoxaparin. Mm. So you want to dose adjust that. What's the dose normally?
0: So if we're talking prophylactic lexane, so this is to stop people from getting DVTs, it's a small dose, just 40 milligrams a day for everyone with normal renal function. But then if it's abnormal renal function, so generally an EGFR less than 30 is the cutoff that we use.
1: Or creatinine clearance less or than Or creatinine 30.
0: clearance less than 30. Uh, is uh, The dose is down to 20 milligrams a day.
1: Yeah. So the easy principle to remember is you halve it because... The therapeutic dose for clexane for enoxaparin is usually one milligram per kilogram BD. And in in um, poor renal function, you would use one milligram per kilogram daily as yep. a starting dose and monitor the anti-factor 10A
0: levels. Yeah. So that's not something, that's something I didn't realize until I started working. Like I always thought unfractionated heparin was the one that you monitor with APDT and you didn't have to monitor cloxane. But in certain situations, you do have to monitor Clexane. And one of those is renal failure. And you do that with an anti-factor 10A level.
1: And in patients whose renal failure is is quite severe, then you would actually just use heparin instead. Yeah. All right. The last medication we're going to talk about is digoxin. So the risk in digoxin mm. is in, in renal failure, you risk that the patient will become digoxin toxic. So I've got a patient on the ward at the moment who is actually no longer on the ward. He's in CCU being monitored for his heart block. He went um, into renal failure and his usual dose of digoxin, which he'd been chugging along on for a long time, is suddenly too much for him. He's, um, he's quite profoundly radicardic. Some other um, consequences of that would be visual disturbances, confusion, and hyperkalemia. So in patients with acute kidney injury, you've got to reduce the dose of digoxin. This is another one that you can monitor with levels.
0: So just two points here for, for more advanced listeners. So first of all, you, you reverse the joxin with an antibody, not with uh, dialysis. Dialysis doesn't work. And second of all, they often do get hyperkalemic, um, but that's an indication for an antibody. Don't give them uh, insulin. Don't drop that uh, potassium because that's a marker of toxicity and not the actual cause of the toxicity. and the toxicity becomes much, much worse. When, you, when they become hypokalemic. Really? Yeah. And what's
1: the antibody you give?
0: I can't remember the name. It's like the Joxin antibody. Right. Yeah.
1: I didn't know that. I've never that's used it. That's how you it.
0: reverse it. Yeah. I've never had to either, but just two important things to remember, but that's more of an advanced thing to worry about.
1: Mm. Okay. And And then let's just briefly touch on antihypertensives or nitrates just in general. So these aren't medications that directly cause toxicity to the kidneys and they're not renally or not necessarily renally um, excreted, but just anything that's going to reduce the, the amount of blood that's getting through the kidneys. And um, particularly if the patients are actually hypotensive is going to contribute to renal failure. And you really want to keep up a good perfusion of those kidneys.
0: All right, so in summary, uh, so to go back to the common nephrotoxic, so that was the triple whammy diuretics, NSAIDs and ACE inhibitors.
1: Together or separately.
0: Yep. Yeah. And then you've got gentamicin, vancomycin, and contrast can also damage the kidney. And then the drugs to worry about inner damaged kidney because the person can't handle those doses or drugs anymore are Clexane or enoxaparin, opioids, uh, benzodiazepines, um, a lot of antibiotics including penicillin, vancomycin, trimethoprim, uh, neuropathic agents, beta blockers in particular, atenolol and hypoglycemic agents, in particular, glycoside. Really, to be honest, when my patient's renal function dips down um, quite low, I often just sit there with their medication list and, and uh, AMH or, or MIMS and just go through every drug because I don't know off by heart, uh, you know, what what doses and which um, levels of, of renal function are safe.
1: Mm. And you can always
0: ask. Yeah, and the pharmacists are really helpful in this kind of situation.
1: All right, so another just specific case, um, furosemide. Should, should that go up or down in kidney failure? Because it seems to depend.
0: Yeah, so the classic one that always used to confuse me as an as a intern, as a medical student, someone comes in with very edemous, edematous, very overloaded in heart failure, um, and with renal impairment, is there anything you can do? Can you still offload? And, and the priority in that situation is offloading fluid. You should give that person furosemide. Uh, because this uh, renal vein pressure that's up because so od- odematous um, might actually be contributing to their to their renal failure. So you get this really paradoxical improvement in someone's creatinine sometimes um, when they come in with edematous and with renal failure.
1: So if we just go back a step, furosemide helps to excrete extra fluid. Mm. Um, so you give it depending on the fluid status or you withhold it depending on the fluid status. When I first saw a patient who was on 500 milligrams BD of furizomide, I just assumed it was definitely a drug error. I'd never seen anything more than 40. But patients in end-stage renal failure will be on enormous doses like that. Intrarenal, AKI or nephrotic syndrome, they're going to be on those huge, big doses. But in pre-renal, acute renal failure, where the fluid status is presumably dry, you should withhold it. But keep monitoring the fluid status and this will, this will change every day. So it's patients like this that I just write review, 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 review on the furizomide and just review at every dose.
0: Mm.
1: What if the patient's not urinating at all, if they're aneuric?
0: Uh, it depends how long they've been aneuric for and what situation. Sometimes if it's post a big traumatic event like surgery and someone becomes aneuric, furizomide can actually get help them, them and get them going. It's a useful drug to use. But if they've been chronically aneuric... Um, because they're so dry, or they're septic, when they're in such bad renal failure, then muds not really going to help.
1: Yeah, yeah. So these patients in end-stage renal failure who are anuric, don't bother. All right, so I think um, we should come back now to Ronald, that cannula-wielding, delirious man with moderate community-acquired pneumonia. So he was started on benzyl penicillin and doxy, and he had ongoing delirium. His blood pressure was 135 on 80. Heart rate was 83 in Chronic atrial fibrillation. I'm going to go through his medication list, and I don't know how well this is going to go across the um, across the airwaves. But I want you to think about what you would withhold or dose adjust as we go, and um, and we'll talk about how we would butcher his med chart. Okay, so usual medications: perindopril. Maybe I won't say the doses. Perindopril, atorvastatin, aspirin, metformin, digoxin, diltiazem CR, controlled release, meloxicam PRN and Cat's Claw, which he gets from his local um, alternative medicine uh, vendor. <laughs> We've started him on the Benpan and the Doxy, and he's on an IV normal saline because he's a bit dry.
0: All right, so what should we think about here?
1: So we'll go We'll go in order. Perindopril, 5 milligrams, keep or lose?
0: I'd withhold it for now.
1: Yeah, so why would you do that?
0: Uh, because it's an ACE inhibitor, and it's going to decrease that uh, efferent constriction and reduce, reduce the uh, GFR.
1: Atorvastatin, 40. It's fine. Aspirin, 100. It's fine. Metformin, 1 gram BD.
0: Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd uh, cross that off for now um, because it's going to increase his risk of lactic acidosis.
1: Yeah, and, and also just there, um, you, you want to talk to your reg about this one, but you'd want to probably think about starting a low dose of Lantus instead of that. Lantus doesn't get affected by renal mm. failure yeah. in the acute setting. The next one is digoxin, 125 micrograms daily.
0: So I'd probably think about reducing that and probably send off some levels as well given he's confused.
1: Hmm, diltiazem, controlled release, 240 daily.
0: So it's a controlled release one, so I'd be suspicious, but if you look that one up on MIMS, it's actually okay, I think.
1: Mm. So you you would withhold this if his blood pressure were low, but we said it was normal, so that's okay. Meloxicam, PRN.
0: Yeah, obviously reduce that. The number of people that have come in with uh, NSAID-induced renal failure is pretty crazy. They've got osteoarthritis, and they've been on BD NSAIDs for the last two weeks, and they're 80.
1: Or two years. Yeah. Cat's claw?
0: I don't know. Take so this
1: is, this is one of the ones that you look for in, on um, uptodate or AMH or ask your pharmacist, and you get rid of it. Fun fact, <laughs> never seen anyone on it. What about the oh, band It's a real head? thing.
0: It's a real thing. Oh, right. I thought you were just being silly.
1: Nah, fine joke. funny joke. Some, someone, someone, back.
0: Someone else is being silly, right? Um, And Ben Penn and Doxy, we don't worry about.
1: Hmm.
0: Oh.
1: Alright, so that's Ronald. Tell me about Lakshmi.
0: So she's a 72-year-old lady in the next bed who came in with a fractured knof and AKI secondary to rhabdomyolysis after a long lie post-fall. And she had a, a CT with contrast in ED. She normally has a normal renal function. And this
1: is an important thing. You sometimes need to dig a bit to try and find out what their normal renal function is.
0: So her past history is epilepsy, hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, and ischemic cardiomyopathy. The creatinine is 200, so that's very high for someone with previously normal renal function with an EGFR of 21 and a creatinine clearance of 21.3. Her obs are all pretty good. Her blood pressure is a little bit higher, 160 on 80, and her heart rate is 55. Uh, the ED staff are basically saying that she's yelling out in pain, but when you review her, she's tundered and only responding to painful stimuli. So in terms of her normal medication list, so sootovastatin we said was fine. Metoprolol would be fine probably in her. Frizumide, uh depending on her fluid status, but we'd probably reduce that. Uh, paracetamol is okay. Kepra or levetiracetam, which is an anti-epileptic drug. I'd have to look that one up. Um, apparently you decrease it. So just uh, <laughs> uh, look that one up on MIMS. Um, clopidogrel would be fine. Um, aspirin is fine. And then we added anoxaparin 40. We probably should cut that down to 20. Um, and oxycodone 5 milligrams Q4 hourly, as well as 5 milligrams IV morphine in ED. So I'd be worried about that's why she's so obtundated. I'd have a good look at her pupils to make sure that they're not too constricted.
1: Okay, so what's another alternative that we could use um, for the for the morphine?
0: So I'd go with fent- fentanyl at this stage. And
1: mm. um, uh, with the Clexane, we could reduce that down. We'd also need to check the anti-10A levels.
0: Yeah, sounds good.
1: And then we'd just be monitoring. So every day we check a renal function, we'd check a fluid status.
0: Yeah, cool. All right, and then you wanted to talk a little bit about Uh, what an intern's role is in managing nephrotoxics?
1: Yeah, this is just something that I felt a bit uncomfortable about when I started. And, And now that I'm a very, very baby registrar, um, it's all it's all a lot clearer to me. The intern's job is to is to help out by recognizing when something might need to be changed. You don't need to know what, you don't need to know how. You can look that up, you can ask. Um, and sometimes it is black and white, but sometimes it, it's not, and it's always okay to phone a friend. So if you notice the kidney function's going off, if you just have the thought, do I need to change the medications, that actually helps a huge amount. And it does become second nature. Um, but it, it, it takes some time before you, you have the confidence and the, and the knowledge and the experience to actually start changing the medications independently. So I think we've gone through them a bunch of times. but those common alarm bell medications, you really need to know. Do you want to reel them off for us, Davo?
0: So diuretics, NSAIDs, ACE inhibitors, uh, gentamicin, vancomycin, um, trimethoprim, metformin, clexane, opioids. Um, benzodiazepines, uh, sulfonyl sulfonylureas, and uh, neuropathic agents,
1: and uh, metformin as well. And with passion in your voice like that, I think you're going to go great in your exam tomorrow. <laughs> <Delmore>. <laughs> Thank you very
0: much. Thanks for a good podcast. Appreciate it. Till next time.
1: Thank you. Bye.